Today we're going to be starting on a new series entitled Making Life Investments. Making Life Investments. You know, if you really think about it, we're always making investments in life. Always. We're always investing into something or into someone. Think about it. You're investing your time at work. You're investing into relationships. You're investing in your hobbies. When you're watching that TV and you think you're just decompressing, you want to be mindless, guess what? You're investing something. And you're also getting an investment in return. <clears throat> and so the truth is that we all spend our time investing into something or someone. But no matter what it is, whether it's good or bad, beneficial or, all, or unbeneficial, we're investing something. And here's why that's so important for us to wrap our heads around. Because not only are we investing something, but as a result of the investments that we make, we're always reaping something. Amen. We're always reaping something. You ever seen somebody who, I mean, certainly none of us here, right? Uh, you, ever, you ever been, you ever seen, you've been around somebody so busy that, you know, it's, oh, my job, you know, this, and I got that, and, and it's just, they're just so busy. It's just, I'm busy, 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 and they never have time for anything. Well, guess what? All investments come at the expense of something else, and by default, we reap something because of that as well. And so I'll give you an example of a bad investment. A bad habit is simply a return on the investment that we've made in a bad area of our lives. That makes sense? A bad habit, a bad, something that has become habitual, a habitual mindset, a habitual behavior, that's a result of a bad investment. A bad investment that's consumed bad time in your head, bad time in your actions, bad time in your surroundings, whatever it may be. Conversely, I'll give you an example of a good investment. A great friendship is simply a good return on a long-term investment of time, love, commitment, honesty. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. So I remember years ago, <laughs> excuse me, I remember years ago, I used to, uh, I was an executive with a uh, huge nonprofit organization that had national um, and local uh, influence. And I managed many, many programs. And uh, during those years, I was investing. I had a, uh, an investment portfolio where they took the money out of my account, every paycheck, and they matched it 3%, and then they additionally gave another 3%. So I was making 9% on my money, right? And I did that for years. So much so, and I, and I never paid any mind. So I didn't look at the statements. I wouldn't read them. I could care less. I just didn't think about it. I just forgot about it. Well, years later... When it came time to us uh, looking to move from the city, from the Bronx, and looking for a, a place to move up, uh, we started looking for homes. You know, one of the things at the back of my head was, okay, well, how, how are we going to put down a down payment? You know, yeah, we have some reserves, we have some funds, we've saved up, but man, you know, you're talking about a down payment. And then one day I remembered, you know that account that you got? Look in there. And I happened to look in there, and I was astounded how much money was in there. And I didn't take a lot out. But I was, I was able to take out more than enough to be able to put down a down payment and to prepare this home for when we moved into it. And so it was a great thing. But guess how that happened? It didn't happen by me hoping and a praying that that portfolio was going to grow. It didn't happen by me saying, oh, God, you provide for all my needs according to your riches and glory. So, Father, give me that down payment. <laughs> now, the Bible says this, that faith without works is dead. Now, I'm not saying to you that you work for your faith, 
But what I am saying is that there is a response to the things of faith, the things of God, the truth that the word reveals, his promises, which is referred to as works. It's a response. Lord, your word says it. You promised it. And so I will do it. I'll give you an example of that. The Bible says that God gives you the, he gives you the power to create wealth. Some people say, Lord, enlarge my territory, Lord. We use all those good scriptures. Lord, enlarge my territory, Lord. Expand my horizons, Father. Oh, that you would bless me. But if we do nothing in response to faith, don't expect nothing. See how investments work? And so now's a good time to pause and to consider individually, personally, and ask yourself this question. What am I investing? Where am I investing? How am I investing? And here's a good question to ask yourself as well. For all of us, what am I reaping? Because what I'm reaping is an indication of what I'm investing into. Good word? You all right? You still love me? All right, well, I'm about to give you some truth. And so as we get started here, it's very important to establish a principle that making life investments is not just a good idea. It's a God idea. Let me show you that from Scripture. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 11 through 26. Luke 9, 11 through 26. And if you look, starting at verse 11, it says, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem. Remember this next point. And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Remember that point. Verse 12, Therefore he said, A certain nobleman uh, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called ten of, ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minus. And he said to them, Do business till I come. Everybody say with me, Do business. Okay, remember that. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. Watch the return there. Talk about a return. Verse 18, And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not know. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put my money, why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might, have a I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. 
For I say to you, this is Jesus now speaking, that to everyone who has will be given. And for him, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now this parable is often uh, referred to to illustrate the importance of sowing your talents and sowing your gifts and sowing the things that God has uh, instilled in you and sowing your money. And while all those things are valuable and all those things are true, there's an important point here that Jesus is talking about. And I want to draw your attention back to verse 11. Let's put that up again if we, if we can, guys. Notice that he says that, he w- that because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately, that for that reason he said these things. So get a picture of what's happening here. To truly appreciate this, and I don't have time to get into it, so I'll just give you a quick snapshot. In verses 1 through 9, Jesus has an encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a guy that was uh, not liked by many people amongst the Jewish, uh, uh, amongst the people of Israel. Rightly so, because he was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man who worked for the Roman Empire. And not only did he collect the taxes, but he also skimmed his part off of it. As a matter of fact, he was a chief tax collector, if you study this. So he was a chief thief, if that makes sense. Right? He was good at it. And he did, he did it under the law. So he legally did it. And the Romans knew it and they turned the blind eyes, so they didn't like him. So Zacchaeus uh, gets wind of the fact that Jesus is around, and the Bible says that he's a short man. And so Zacchaeus climbs up to a tree to see Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus sees Zacchaeus on the tree, and that he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. This day I must stay in your home. And so everybody around that hears this starts to complain, the Bible says. And they say, He's going to a sinner's home. In other words, they're, so, they're saying, he's going to that piece of garbage's house. He, if anybody, if he should be in anybody's house, he should be in my house, not in that guy's house. That guy's the worst. And Jesus, in verse 9, makes this statement. And I'll just read it to you. He says, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. And in verse 10, it says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save for that which was lost. So why am I sharing that with you? Because in context, when we read verses 11 through 26, Jesus is bringing to light what he came for. Notice that he talks about a king that came to a kingdom of people that did not want him. Who's he talking about? Himself. Who are the people that, want, that wouldn't receive this king? The Israelites. But watch this. He still got servants. And so he turns to his servants and he says, while I'm away doing what I've come to do, to seek and save the lost, you do what I want you to do. And so he deposited funds, talents, into minas, into their hands. And he expected them to do something with it. What's the point here, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm trying to make? Making life investments isn't just a good idea. It's a God idea. Let me put it to you this way. Making life investments is a kingdom principle. And why is that important for us to wrap our heads around and our hearts around and receive this and respond in faith? Because if God saw it fit that when man was bankrupt and needed redemption 
and needed a way out of their mess. God himself made the greatest investment himself. Now look around the room for a minute. Look around the room. Look around the room. Just look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look in front of you. I want you to think about this. Look at the return on his investment. Look at the return on his investment. And there's more to come. There's more than just what we see here. And so what I'm saying is if God himself functions according to this principle of sowing and reaping, making life investments, how dare we think that the investments we make in life aren't important? We've got to really get a bigger picture of this. So Galatians 6, 7 puts it this way. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You ever do one of these where somebody, you're talking to somebody, you go, whatever. You ever do one of those? Well, that's not the whatever that, this, that the word of God is talking about here. Watch what the Bible says. It says, do not be deceived. Do, do not be fooled is what it's saying. Don't be fooled. God is not mocked. In other words, you can't ridicule God on this one. You can't twist this to fit your understanding. You can't bypass this. You can't set it aside. You can't act like it isn't how God functions. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. And so, hey, sowing and reaping is a kingdom principle. It's a life principle. And we must begin to really critically examine, according to what we see in God's word, where am I sowing? Because where I'm sowing tells me what I'm reaping. So today we'll be looking at the biblical rules of making life investments. We're going to start this series this week at this point because before we can really talk about uh, in making life investments, we need to understand how investing according to the word of God is talking, what it says. Now, you can apply this to many areas. You can apply this to areas of finances. You can apply this to areas of relationships. You can apply this to areas of your marriage, of your, your children, of your workplace, of your career, of your place in this world, of the impact you make in the community. However, it applies to many areas in life. But I want to give you a word of caution. I want to fine-tune your ears, so to speak, so that you receive correctly. It's very easy to hear a series like this and put the emphasis on the investment and the return for me, 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 me. And I want to draw your attention to the first scripture we were looking at, and we're not going to turn there again, but I want you to see that the master who gave the minas to his servants expected a return unto his kingdom. And why is that important? Because yes, we sow and yes, we reap, but what we reap is pertinent to the kingdom. It matters to the kingdom. Notice that the master came back and asked them, what did you do with my deposit? What did you do with my investment? And the only one that came back with nothing was the one that did not understand the master and the principle that he was operating by. That makes sense? 
So sowing and reaping, it's important. So we're going to talk about some rules for investing for life. Rule number one, we must invest before we can ever expect a return. Sounds basic, right? We must invest before we can ever expect a return. How many of you want extravagant returns in your life? Oh, come on now. Some of you need to stop lying. You know... (laughs) You know you want some returns in your life. You want returns in your relationships. You want returns on your money. You want returns in in your workplace. You want returns in your relationship with your children and the children you're rearing. You want returns in every area of life. We would be unwise not to want a return. Please don't buy into that uh, traditional uh, religious mindset that says, oh, I'm just poor old me. I'm just waiting for the sweet by and by, and I'm just going to struggle in life. Let me prove to you from God's word that God wants you to return, to reap a return extravagantly. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they, tell somebody he's talking to you, tell somebody else he's talking to me, I came that they may have life, watch this, and life more abundantly. And that's not just you on earth. That word life, Zoe, talks about a whole lot more. It talks about the blessing of God, God's kind of life. And so God expects, I mean, God designed us to reap great returns. That we must invest before we can ever expect a return. We all want extravagant return in our marriages and our walk of faith. But we cannot expect to have a great marriage. We cannot expect to have a great return upon the things of faith, the exercise of faith, if there's never an investment on our part. Right now, believe it or not, you're making an investment. You're making an investment. And here's what I want to encourage you with. Expect a return as you invest. Do something with the word of God that you hear today. Please don't be that person who goes, man, great sermon. Where are we going to eat? Don't, 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 don't be that person. Do something with the word of God. Respond in faith. Apply it. Many people live life frustrated because they're not seeing the return that they want or expect. But they've never made an investment. And if they did, it's possible it wasn't big enough. It's possible it was in the wrong place. You know, there's a such thing as bad investments. We can all do that. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, so if you want to follow me, you can check it out on the screen. It says, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. And if, if they watch every cloud, they never harvest. So get the picture of what God's word is saying here. A farmer who's waiting for the perfect weather. I'm waiting for it to be 80 degrees. It's going to be nice and sunny. It's going to rain. And then it's going to clear up. And the seeds are going to be well watered. And they're going to grow. But they've never sown seed. That farmer is a fool to expect a return. In like fashion, the farmer that watches for every cloud while having seed in the ground and never addresses the seed, never does anything with the seed, never waters the seed, never harvests the seed, 
can't expect a return. What is the Bible illustrating for us here? That without an investment of something, there's never a return. There's never a return. So just as it's ridiculous for a farmer to spend his time looking for perfect weather so he can reap a harvest, it's just as ridiculous for us to expect a return in any area of our lives without having first sown seed. Here's a good time to reconsider the question I asked you in the beginning. If you don't like what you're reaping, ask yourself, what have I sown? What have I sown? It's like the parent who expects their child to heed to their discipline and advice. You need to listen to me. I grew up in those times where when Rosa Etelvina Garcia Vasquez spoke, there was no question. It wasn't what. Before you, you got wild, it was what. <laughs> I'm not advocating that. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't, you didn't hear that. Don't, you're not hearing me say you should do that. But what I'm saying is, you know, it, it's like the parent who, who just simply demands from their child, but never teaches. Never provides discipline, never provides guidelines. And then somehow we want as parents to get upset and say, you're not respecting me. Well, what have you sown? And some of you, you hear that and you go, well, I didn't sow respect. No, you didn't sow discipline. You didn't sow responsibility. I, look, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not a perfect parent. I got two adults as children. That's an oxymoron. I don't make that. I got two parents. I got two, got two parents. I got t- <laughs> the devil's a liar. They are not married yet. <laughs> I've got two children. Two adults. But my son and my daughter could tell you that when they were little, when my son was five years old, I used to tell him, I'm not raising you to be a child. I'm raising you to be an adult. And my wife would say, he's five years old. (laughs) And I would go, I know, but he's not going to stay there. And so I instilled that into them. And I always treated them older than their age. And I thank God for revealing to me this principle of making life investments, of sowing and reaping. Because I can tell you, and I I give all the credit to the Lord, till this day I'm reaping a harvest. I'm reaping a harvest. My daughter is engaged. She gets married next year. My son is finishing college. He's going to his last semester, and he's got a prominent future ahead of him. He's got good girlfriend, who knows, we'll see, maybe they get married, you know, there's conversations hopefully, right, we'll see, but I'm still reaping, you know, sowing takes work, but it's worth it, it's worth it, we should really consider that, that was free by the way, that wasn't in my notes, (laughs) rule number two, the size of our investment determines our profit margin, let me take you to the word. I'm going to be reading from the Message Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says this. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. 
a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give that will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Think about this. What you receive is always in proportion to what you've sown. It's always in proportion to what you've sown. So this is an approximation, and I, I, don't, I don't say this is gospel, uh, but Google says that a farmer, when they first sowed that apple seed, they approximate that for every seed, the first harvest that they reap from that apple seed is about 500 apples. So if you're a wise farmer, do you sow one seed or do you sow a thousand seeds? See what I mean? When you're, when you're really looking at this for the reaping and you understand how sowing and reaping works and you understand that this principle is a kingdom principle and you begin to make valuable, wise life investments, kingdom investments, you begin to see, a, uh, and, you, and, and, you, and you begin to grow in the exercise of that. And how much you sow into your children, into your relationship, in your marriage, into your work ethic, in your workplace. Right? Into your uh, connection to the body of Christ and your involvement in the body of Christ. Listen, to the extent that you sow, you reap in proportion. So, Here's, a, here's an encouragement for you. Start making investments proportionate to the return you desire. Why? Because it's to your profit and benefit. Rule number three. We will only benefit from what we invest to. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. It is ludicrous for me to invest in Walmart and then when I want to withdraw make a withdrawal from my investment, I call Target and I say, I say to my investment manager, hey, what's going on with uh, my return on Target, on, on Target stock? I didn't sow there to begin with. And I'll tell you why I'm sharing this with you. Because sometimes we make investments in other areas and we expect returns in places that we've never sown. We expect a return in places we've never sown. And so what happens is this. I'll give you an example. The, the, the Christian who invests all their time into their social life. Church is a social gathering. I go to the church where my friends go to. And we, we do life together. We're journeying together. All these Christianese terms that you're hearing these days. Nothing wrong with that. But if your investment is only a social one, then you have to wonder why you struggle sometimes in believing God's word when you do. And I would propose to you that it's because you spent more time sowing into people and into your own wants than into God, than into his word, than into these kingdom principles that we see. You cannot expect to reap where you have not sown. It's like TV preachers that I used to hear. I, and I say I used to hear because I don't really listen to too many TV preachers. 
But I remember there was a time when they would say, you sow a thousand dollars and you'll reap your healing right now. Send a thousand dollars, you send this category and you'll reap this. You send this category and you'll be healed of cancer. You sow this and you'll be healed of what X, Y, Z. And if we really stop and think of this kingdom principle, why would you sow money when you want to see manifested the healing that Jesus has already paid for and given you? Why wouldn't you sow what the word says? By your stripes, I am healed. You sent your word and you, and you, and you healed them, Lord. You healed me. Why not invest where we should? You see what I'm saying? So if, if uh, whatever you need, you got to first plant it. You got to first sow it. So if you need love, oh, wait, I think I'm in the wrong church. <laughs> if you need love, plant love, right? If you need love, plant it, right? If you need forgiveness, oh, plant it first. Sow that seed. If you want to see an increase in finances, any investor will tell you it takes money to make money. Invest into things that will reap a harvest in your life. The entire kingdom of God is founded on sowing and reaping. The entire kingdom. God sowed until this day there's a, there's a return, there's a harvest that's returning unto him. Rule number four, the condition of what we invest to will affect what we reap. The condition of what we invest to will affect what we reap. Matthew 13, verses 3 through 8. Then he, speaking of Jesus, spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them, and some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, our Lord here is speaking to us in this parable about the sower being God and how he sows his word. And the condition of the receptor, the receiver, determines the ability of that seed to grow. And now God has made a deposit in each and every one of us. And ladies and gentlemen, you might say, well, that's God. Well, as he is, so are you in this world, scripture says. We are just like Christ. And whether you feel it, believe it, see it or not, there is all that God has deposited and created you to be is already in you. And now what we're doing is discovering that according to the word. And the more we know, the more we exercise it, and the more we do 
guess what? Grow. And so the ground, how we receive the word and the condition of that heart determines how that seed grows. And that's true in, area, in, any, every, in any area of our lives. Some of us, maybe you right now, maybe you find yourself in a place where you've been sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and you haven't been reaping and reaping and reaping. There's no reaping at all. Have you stopped to consider that maybe the condition of where you're sowing your time isn't a ripe ground, isn't a good ground? Have you stopped to consider that maybe some of the relationships that you've sown yourself into that aren't reaping you a return, a kingdom return, 30, 60, 100 fold, that's the kingdom's return, and 30 is the minimum. If you're not reaping, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe it's because it's hard ground? It's not good ground to begin with? Maybe there's some things that you've sown into your own life and they're not reaping. Have you ever stopped to consider that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, you're not in the right position at the moment to receive it? Maybe you find yourself frustrated and you're saying, well, God, when is it going to happen for me? And God, when is, when, 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 when is my time going to come? And God, when are your promises going to come through for me? Let me prove to you that you're, you're not receiving right. God, the word of God says that he's already giving you everything that pertains to life and godliness. The word of God says that he's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. That's the location of your blessing. So if God has already done his part, then who's dropping the ball? See, the Bible says that faith is the evidence of, is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. Here's the thing, there is an evidence, and there is substance. How are we responding to faith? How are we responding to the kingdom principles? There's a harvest in you, but we must make investments. The Bible says this, that we are joint heirs, co-laborers with God. Did you get that? You are a co-laborer. Oh God, it's all in your hands. That's not what scripture says. We're working this together, baby. It's you and me. I live in you. You're in me. My word is in you. Abide in me. I abide in you. Let's do this together because he's called you to produce much fruit. So find out what's good ground in your life and make an investment there. My last point here is a simple one. Rule number five. Good life investments take time to mature. And produce a harvest. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. I'm reading from the New International Version. Says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So if you're sowing or you've sown. 
good seed, good ground. Here's what you got to understand. Here's what we have to understand. That seed takes time to grow. Most people hear it this way. Seed time and harvest. And here's what they're hearing. There's time for seed and there's time for harvest. But they forget that it's seed, there's time, and there's harvest. Every seed takes time to grow. And so if you've sown good seed and it's in good ground, it's a kingdom principle that it will take time, but it will grow. Somebody asked me between service, right after first service, Pastor, there's a particular area in my life and I'm just not seeing, you know, I'm, I'm waiting on this harvest. And my question to this person was, are you seeing any growth at all? Because when the Bible talks about growth, it says, First the seed, then the blade, then the head, then the full head of grain. And so even in that time between seed and harvest, there is growing. Something's maturing. Something's happening. And if you're not seeing something happening between seed and harvest, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You get my point here? And so, ladies and gentlemen... As we close here today, life investments, it's a kingdom principle. We're called to make them. Where will you make investments in your life? You know, it's one thing about investments is no matter how bad they go, you can always invest somewhere else. You can always turn around. Always. And so why not start making some wise investments? It's a kingdom principle. You're meant to reap a harvest.